Hey there, humanoids. This is David Shoemaker here with a very exciting announcement. Your favorite wrestling podcast feed, The Ringer Wrestling Show, is now going daily. And you can hang out with me and Kaz on Mondays and Thursdays for The Masked Man Show. And you can join me, Peter Rosenberg, alongside stack guy Greg and Dip, every Tuesday with Cheap Heat. And on Fridays, I'll welcome a friend or special guest from the world of wrestling. And on Wednesdays, we have a very special new show called Wednesday Worldwide that you're going to want to check out. Pay-per-view reaction, one-of-a-kind interviews, fantasy booking, talking about bagels. That's what we do here on the Ringer Wrestling Show. Follow the show now on Spotify and do us a favor. Give us five stars. And do us another favor and uh, stay mage. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We have a loaded pod view as we get ready for the Patriots and the Commanders coming up on Sunday. Joe House is going to join us, so we'll get into that game in just a couple of minutes here. I also want to get into Craig Breslow's introductory press conference, one leftover thought on the Celtics, and I do want to give the top five things that I'm looking forward to the rest of the season for the Patriots. I'm trying to be positive here. Five things I'm looking forward to watching the rest of the season with the Pats, so we'll do that. Plus, Jamie and I, as we do every Friday, we'll give you our bets for the weekend. Coming up next, though, I'll preview the Pats and the Commanders with Joe House. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now from East Coast Bias, the Ringer Gambling Show. You also see him every Sunday, part of the Ringer Wise Guys show on FanDuel TV, which airs on at 11 a.m. Show where people actually pick games, not just straight up. And we don't see features about like Brock Purdy that he was the last pick or two and Jalen Hurts. We're teammates together at the collegiate level. It's actually a show that will help you with your gambling. He's also a Washington football fan, and we need to get into this pillow fight coming up on Sunday. It is Joe House. House, thank you so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Brian Barrett, first time, long time. You know, I'll never confess this in the presence of the podfather, but I like to sneak a peek every once in a while to see what's going on up in Beantown because... The New England teams have been kind of around the hoop, to use uh, a, a bad pun, in terms of success. And when we're trying to measure out, thank you for all the kind words on on the wise guys uh, and our gambling prowess, small p prowess. But, uh, you know, the, the New England teams uh, factor in heavily in some of the wager angles that, that we like to go in. So I, I, I am quietly uh, w- watching you. I uh, just won't tell the podfather. 
I appreciate that. And I do really love the wise guys. And by the way, I was watching last week. So I, I went for a run. I, was, I guess that's kind of like a humble brag, but I went for a run. So I came back, I taped it. So I started watching it at 1130. And all of a sudden, JJ, who usually has this setup where he's got like Charlie Brown, a bunch of dolphin stuff. Where was JJ during that recording? It was like, I don't even know what was going on. There's bright lights all over the place. Yeah, he was with uh, another one of his New York sports compadres, uh, Sal Licata. Sal came on to do a guest pick, and so J.J. relocated to Sal's lair, and he surrounded himself in Mets paraphernalia, which is like anathema to J.J. J.J. You know, should have worn a hazmat suit, but it clearly <laughs> rubbed off on the production because his uh, audio froze like four different times. So he's on a permanent. That was one Sal too many for the Wise Guy show. We already have a Sal. <laughs> it's the cousin Sal. You can't have two Sal's, Brian. It, 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 it just derails the whole thing. I do have to ask you one more question about the Wise Guys. So I heard Raheem, and he's referenced this multiple times. He actually has an algorithm for all these games, that he, like all the stuff that he runs. Well, he, he has a model um, that he's mm. developed and he, he uses. Uh, like a lot of professional sports handicappers, he has it for the NBA. He definitely has it for the uh, NFL. I don't think he has a model for baseball. Um, he prefers the live bet baseball. But for sure, you know, he he um, has, you know, maybe a couple dozen inputs and they're, they're producing, um, you know, opportunities to, to try and find advantages uh, against the NFL lines. The, the the challenge is, of course, the NFL lines are the sharpest because of the, the, the interest in it. But yeah. yeah, man, the dream is pumping out numbers, BB. I know, that's awesome. We've had him on the pod a couple of times, a lot of fun. We had him on after a Philly Celtics playoff. I think it was game one of the Philly Celtics series last year. So it was a lot of fun potting with him. All right, House. So I really wish that the Patriots had had this matchup before the deadline. Now, Washington has thrown up the... White flag, Montez Sweat is gone, Chase Young is gone. PFF has Young ranked as the 15th best pass rusher among edge players. Sweat is 16th. Sweat, six and a half sacks, eighth most in the NFL. Young is 13th in win rate among edge players. And I know that he's sort of been a disappointment there. And then you look at the fact that despite having all these defensive linemen, they're 31st in scoring percentage against. Teams are scoring on 46.1% of their drives. So it's not like they were doing great with those guys. And I appreciate the tank. This this is why I hate this matchup for the Patriots is because at this particular point in time, I'm cheering for the Patriots to lose games because I want a better draft pick. And now Washington has given the Patriots an opportunity to win this game. So I really wish this has happened like two weeks ago. Well, I don't know if it's going to make you feel any better. This is truly a toilet bowl matchup, <laughs> but I, I don't think that I would characterize this move by the Washington franchise as an indication that they intend to tank the season. You mentioned mm. the numbers. They they are bad. It's a bad defense. It's a bad Jack Del Rio, Hack Del Rio, dinosaur, <laughs> you know, uh three four construct uh defense. They're they're twenty eighth in DVOA, thirty first in yards allowed, thirty first in defense overall with this with these, you know, guys who individually grade out very well um, by certain anal advanced analytics. But from a team concept, you know, the, the, the Chase Young move in particular, there has always been this murmur here in Washington around his uh, maturity level that, you know, as the overall second uh, draft pick in that, in the draft class a couple years ago uh, and the success he realized right away as the defensive rookie of the year, um, and, you know, sort of some of that national stage accolades, the team actually made the playoffs with a seven and nine record that year. 
um, and he, he was, you know, kind of front and center, that that undermined his his overall likelihood of success here. And then he had it, the injuries that he experienced a year and a half worth. But there has been a sentiment. Nobody will take credit for this for, for this comment, but there's a sentiment here that it could be addition by subtraction, hmm. mainly if you're doing it from an X and O's kind of way of, of assessing it, that there isn't, you know, he, he doesn't demonstrate sufficient gap discipline. That he is kind of like free freewheeling and freelancing a little bit. The team intended to keep Montez Sweat. The Bears just made them an offer that they yeah. couldn't. The team couldn't refuse. <laughs> it's like a, a stunning, uh, out of left field kind of offer. And so the guys that are are replacing um, Chase Young and Montez Sweat are guys that that total like 200 snaps. They've been on the field before. We're not taking rookies or or practice squad players. These are guys that genuinely have been on the field. So I don't think, you know, we're already at the bottom. I don't think that there is going to be that noticeable of a, of a difference in terms of uh, defensive approach, defensive scheme. And Washington is trying to win. So maybe, maybe from your overarching comment, that is the Patriots with a goal and intention of losing games, Washington is definitely trying to win because <laughs> Ron Rivera still holds out hope that like, you know, they finish around 500 or so that he might get consideration for keeping his job. Yeah, that's interesting. So they actually think that getting Chase Young out of the room would actually maybe help them. And I'm with you on the sweat thing. If I was in that Washington front office and I heard, hey, we're getting offered a second for from the Bears for Montez Sweat, if I, I would have been like, are you guys sure this is Ryan Poles? Are you sure this is not a, a prank call? Because that seems like way too much. I mean, if so if you're Washington, it's just it would have been bad business not to trade Montez Sweats for what was there. So you think Ron Rivera, no matter what, now at this particular point in time finishes out the season or do you think if it goes south here they could move on from it? Josh McDaniels beat him and I know he was one of the candidates to be the first head coach fire but McDaniels beat him to that very quickly I never thought that Washington would move on from Rivera if they had started off um 0 and 4 0 and 5 then maybe but with the new ownership group taking the helm so late in the game right they didn't really um come come to power the deal to removing Snyder didn't come to fruition in, until you know early summer. So there was right. nothing that this ownership group could do in terms of resetting the trajectory. And I think they were content to just treat this as a transition year and live with um, Rivera. Like you know, it, it's a, a a matter of first impression with Eric Bieniemy as the offensive coordinator out from under the shadow of Andy Reid. So the team, you know, it, it it's a an opportunity for the new ownership group to kind of get themselves settled, really take um, note of all of the areas of improvement. I mean, we're talking about ingress and egress to the stadium, Brian, like the most simple kind of matters that were enormous challenges, <laughs> very cynical things that were going on under Snyder. So this ownership group is taking stock of the entire operation. M making big changes at the top was never really in the cards, and I didn't really think that, that Rivera as a first coach to be fired was a very good value. Interesting. Okay. So just on this team in general, Sam Howell as a guy where I have no investment in him other than the game against the giants two weeks ago, where I had him as part of a parlay and they lost oh, that complete disaster. Oh, but other sorry. Than, yeah, it, it was bad, but Howell to me as if I'm just watching him and I don't have any money on it, he's very entertaining, right? I mean, this guy he he hold on to the ball forever. And last week against the Eagles, 391, 
four touchdowns. He actually played really well in both games against the Eagles. Now, PFF has the turnover-worthy plays. He has 14 of those, tied for fourth behind only Mac Minshew and Desmond Ritter. So he's sort of a roller coaster. Give us an idea of what we're getting ready to watch on Sunday. I honestly have no idea. The word roller coaster <laughs> is absolutely perfectly apt. Part of it is because I can't get into Eric Bieniemy's brain and anticipate the game plan. For whatever reason, the game plan against the Giants was such a radical departure from the from the effective game plans that we've seen where Hal's been able to to kind of thrive the game plans against the Eagles. Both of those Eagles games, those game plans, feature Sam Howe getting rid of the ball quickly. That's by far the most important thing, the most important sort of uh, uh, preservation, self-preservation, team preservation, offensive success. Uh, They throw the ball on first down um, at a rate that's the highest in the entire NFL. So Biennemi does not want to try and establish um, the run in any way, shape, or form. But how success depends on how quickly he can get rid of the ball. His average depth of target um, against the Eagles was one of his lowest of the entire season. So it was passes occurring behind the line of scrimmage, short passes, not really getting um, vertical. But it 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 you know produced some some success. So I honestly would hope to see a similar game plan against the Patriots. But I really don't have any idea of what to guess. Uh, enemy has has in mind. Well, piggybacking off what you said about Bietemi, because obviously he had been up for a lot of head coaching opportunities, never landed, and he thought, hey, if I go somewhere else, not with Pat Mahomes, maybe I can make an argument that I can become a head coach. And I would argue that this season, he's actually hurt himself when it comes to that. And I know that Ryan Robinson's only averaging like four yards a carry, Gibson's like at 4.5. But how is this team, and maybe some of its game script, you would know better than me watching all these games, but how are they last? They're at 19.9 rushing attempts per game. I thought that he was going to be a guy that actually wanted to run the football more based on like his background as a running back and all that different type of stuff. But how are they dead last in the NFL in rushing attempts per game? They've been in a lot of these games, haven't they? They have. Um, the thing that is impossible to really get our arms around is how bad the offensive line in Washington is. They were forecasted as a bottom three offensive line, and they sure have met expectations, possibly (laughs) exceeded expectations, Brian. I mean, the combination of a a, basically a rookie quarterback whose whose known tendency is to hold the ball too long and produce sacks that way, you know, coupled with, uh, you know, Biennemi arriving and having to familiarize himself with this personnel. And I think just really getting smacked in the face with how poor the offensive line is and the rotating cast that this offensive line, I mean, they're, they're subbing guys in and out, some of it due to injury, but it is, um, you know, very, really hard to say uh, whether this is in, intentional out of B enemy or whether this is in response to, to the uh, hand of, of cards that he's been dealt. This off season will be really telling in terms of the direction that the team goes in the way of building up, you know, the most, the, the, the by far the worst unit uh, on the entire team, that offensive line. With all of this draft capital, they have a ton of free agency money. They have a ton of cap space. I think around 95 million bucks, maybe even higher. Um, so we will see. But I, I really don't think that we can, you know, bite down too hard on anything that we've seen out of enemy right now because I think it's all just, you know, in, in in response to, in reaction to what what he sees, it smacking him in the face. 
Yeah, it makes sense. It is, if you really think about it, it could be, and it's crazy to say this because of the previous owner, but it actually could be an appealing job now based on, and I know it's only a compensatory pick for Chase Young and you get the second for Montez Sweat, but you have draft picks. And to your point, you have money in free agency. Now the question will be the quarterback going forward, whether or not you want to draft a quarterback or try to pick one up, whatever the case may be, or if you believe in how. But on this Washington defense, looking at this for a Sunday, they're giving up 5.7 yards per play, 29th. They're 28th in EPA per play. They're 30th in dropback EPA. A 102.2 passer rating against. Only Denver is worse, and Denver gave up 70 in a game. 18 passing touchdowns, the most in the NFL. They're 29th in passing yards per game. I know Kendall Fuller has like graded out well for them at the corner position. Everybody else has not graded out well. So is it, you mentioned Jack Del Rio earlier. Is it Jack Del Rio's the problem? Is the personnel not as great as it was advertised? Because... I thought at the very least, this team would be at least pretty good on defense. It's got to be both, right? It's, it's some mm. combination of, you know, the, the team itself overvaluing, overestimating the talent, the talent not being up to level. And this Jack Del Rio scheme, they have been, you know, to go along with the um, parade of horribles that you just shared in the way that the Washington defense has performed. I think they have given up by far the most explosive plays. They are so susceptible to being beaten over the top, and we've watched uh, bad teams do that to them. The Bears did that to them. You know, teams that that otherwise you know hadn't done that up to that point in the season. Um, and and you know, part of of the 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 blame definitely has to go to the combination of of the front office and the and the personnel assessment. Like this is a team that chose Emmanuel Forbes over Christian Gonzalez. Both guys sitting right there, right? Mm -hmm. And they chose the guy that was the long shot as opposed to the known commodity who immediately came in and was impactful. I mean, the, the, you know, the the, the Patriots season, I, I, I was drinking the Kool-Aid. I actually liked them for over seven and a half wins Me too. this season, really because of the defense. But the Judon and, and Gonzalez injuries were just too much to overcome. And then Mac has taken, oh. you know a giant step back. I don't know if we can, can measure it. It's kind of immeasurable, but um, it is a very interesting combination here between these two teams in the toilet bowl, bowl, Brian, because the thing that Washington is most susceptible to is not the thing that, that the Patriots do very well. And especially with this Kendrick Bourne injury now, right? Yeah. I mean, them throwing the ball, basically. I mean, they found something against the bills, just, it's crazy how they played their two best receivers, Kendrick Bourne and Demario Douglas, and they actually were pretty good in that game offensively. But now without Bourne, real trouble. We'll see how much Douglas can do. But I mean, the de it's crazy to think about it, but the defense can game plan to take away your six-round receiver because he's the only really good receiver this team has now with the Bourne injury. All right, so our friends at FanDuel have the Patriots favored by three and a half. The over-under right now is at 40 and a half. Is there anything you like in this game, House? And I, I don't want to give away too much of your show coming up on Sunday. Or is this more of like a stay-away game? Oh, it's an absolute stay-away. We're, we're not giving up anything <laughs> in terms <laughs> of, you know, the way that I'm going to wager genuine money or recommend that people uh, wager their money. My my lean is on um, Washington because of the hook. I do like the, the these two teams are like the Spider-Man meme. I really do think that they're pointing at each other <laughs> teams like, you know, it, 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 the same kind of transition point teams that have big picture existential sort of questions to confront in the off season. Um, but I, 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 the fact that, that new England can't do the one thing or so far this season hasn't really been able to do the one thing that Washington's most uh, susceptible to 
in terms of of being of de- uh, uh, exploiting the Washington defense. It makes me think that this is going to be close, and I think that I would tend to play the under would be the way that I would handicap this game. Okay, Hellison, before I let you go, two bigger questions for you. Just about, first of all, if they do make a change in the offseason, would you want Bill Belichick to be the head coach of the team. I was talking about earlier this week, Josh McDaniels gets fired. It's the coaching tree has been a mess. Tom's legacy continues to enhance by basically every day now at this particular point in time. Would you want Bill to be the head coach of the team? I mean this as respectfully as possible to all the off the pike uh, listeners, all the Boston consumers. Absolutely not under any circumstances. <laughs> no, God, no. Absolutely not. No, we... There are so many young, talented, innovative coordinators out there. Let's go in that direction. Even You don't even have to be young. You just have to be thoughtful. You have to understand modern football. There's no evidence that Bill Belichick understands modern football. The last half decade has not been kind to Coach Bill. Yeah, well, Bill will bring his kids with him, so I don't know if that's a plus. <laughs> maybe, hey, maybe what Washington should, should do is bring some guys back from that Mike Shanahan staff. I mean, that staff was unbelievable. Maybe that would be. Does that, like, kill you when you see that graphic when they show all those coaches? Well, it it is like two sides of a coin, right? On the one hand, they were smart enough to build up a coaching tree with all of, all of that talent, but it was absolutely the hallmark of the Snyder era to chase out all talented. Anybody with half a brain got the F out of here as soon as they could, as quickly as, as they could, <laughs> uh, you know, once they got the, uh, the feel for what the Snyder era was going to be all about. Okay. Okay. So I have to ask you about this house. So obviously we love Porzingis here. And I know we spent a couple of years there in Washington and he has been unbelievable so far for this team. Perfect compliment to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but we were thoroughly entertained the other night watching Jordan Poole. He's dribbling behind his back, and then he gets blocked by Porzingis. He got stripped by Derek White on one play. The next possession, he's blocked by Drew Holiday. So just as a Washington Wizards fan, we are thankful that Porzingis is playing for the Celtics right now. How are you enjoying this Jordan Poole experience? You used the wrong word. You used, I, I, There's no scenario under which I could say enjoy. Uh, I would say... The, the, the hope, now I, I got over my skis a little bit. My forecast for the Washington team was to, to go over the 23 and a half wins. I heard that, that. Yeah. And I was bullish on the team because I like Tyus Jones. I think Kyle Kuzma is perfectly serviceable. But I had an impression of Jordan Poole that, was, that just could not have been more incorrect. I thought he was, he's a, I thought he was a pure scorer, yes, but also capable of, of working inside an, an offense, that that's wrong. That assessment is wrong. <laughs> I have to reset my hope and expectation. This team is not winning 24 games. And so the best I can hope for with this Washington team is that Jordan Poole win every week Shaq in a Fool, that he becomes an all-time <laughs> Hall of Fame Shaq in a Fool performer because he plays like a fool. I mean, he, he's got talent. There's, it is un, undeniable. And honestly, from my perspective, we, we can put to bed, put to rest this idea that Golden State was a dynasty and all this kind of stuff. That team paid this guy $140 million plus. <laughs> I mean, that's not a, a hallmark of a, of a dynasty. Um, Good point. I am, I'm just going to try my best to, to think about what kind of assets might be coming Washington's way and hopefully there's there's some hidden gems in this upcoming draft but that is the only 
focus appropriate for this Washington team in Jordan Poole this coming year, Brian. Yeah, maybe they can stay bad enough next year, too, so they can get into the Cooper flag sweepstakes because local guy here, he's from Maine. So maybe you okay. guys can get him in two years. Absolute yeah. stud. Fingers crossed. Hope springs eternal now. All right, Joe, I really appreciate it. Make sure to listen to House East Coast Bias, the Ringer Gambling Show. You also see him every Sunday, part of the Ringer Wise Guys on FanDuel TV, which airs at 11 a.m. on Sundays. House, thanks so much. I know you're a busy man. Thanks for taking some time. We really appreciate it. Anytime you put up the bat signal, I'm here for you, Brian Barrett. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets when your first $5 money line bet wins. And I'm looking at a three-leg same-game parlay coming up on Sunday. This is for plus 550. The Saints to cover the eight and a half at home against the Bears. Huge number, but the Saints defense should suffocate that Bears offense. Commanders on the money line against the Patriots. I don't believe the Patriots are winning this weekend. And the Ravens on the money line at home against the Seahawks. That's plus 550. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use and there's so many different ways to bet. There's live same game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. Dive into the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, must be 21 plus in President Select States. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from Joe House as we get you ready for the Patriots and the Commanders coming up on Sunday. I do want to get to a couple of notes, though, from Craig Breslow's introductory press conference on Thursday as he was introduced as the new Red Sox chief of baseball or the Red Sox chief baseball officer, whatever his title is. I mean, the Red Sox have a unique title, but nonetheless. So one thing right off the bat you noticed in the press conference is he certainly played up the former player thing. So he said, I understand that some of you will see me as another Ivy League nerd with a baseball front office job. It's true, I'm that, but I'm also a 13-year big leaguer and a 2013 Boston Red Sox World Series champion. So clearly, he was basically told by the, you would think that he was told, hey, play up the former player thing. But I do think that's smart by him to play that up. That's part of the thing that I thought was enticing about him taking the job. And we talked about this with Lou Merloni last week where, okay, yeah, he has the analytical background, but he also is a big leaguer that the message coming from him to the managerial staff, to Alex Cora and the coaching staff, I should say, it's going to be more well-received from him than it is Heim Bloom just because of the fact that he did play in Major League Baseball. So I think the organization wants to separate itself away from, hey, we just hired another Ivy League nerd. Nobody thinks that of Craig Breslow anyway. Like, I didn't really hear anybody, and maybe some of you did listening to the pod, I didn't hear anybody complain about the fact that Craig Breslow is into analytics. Like, oh, we shouldn't have gone after this guy. I didn't hear that whatsoever. In fact, I felt like most of, after you kind of gathered the thoughts that, hey, they're not going after, like, they're not going to land like a big name guy. After that sort of played itself out and you realized what the field was, I feel like most of the people I talk to about this are excited and think Craig Breslow is going to be good. So I don't think that anybody really perceived him that way. I know he, I know basically what he was trying to do there, basically to prove that, hey, he's different than High and Bloom and the Red Sox are also proving like this guy's different than High and Bloom. He played on a World Series team and all that. 
I just don't think anybody confused him as just an analytical guy from Yale. Everybody knows he played in Major League Baseball. Anyway, I think the idea with this is, is Chris Young, right? I mean, and we heard that throughout the process when people were referencing Craig Breslow is, hey, Chris Young is a former player that now just led the Texas Rangers to a World Series. And when Chris Young took over in Texas, he said that he wanted to strengthen the analytical department and he promised to make a commitment to analytics. Well, you already have that with Craig Breslow. What Chris Young was really good at is identifying guys out there and bringing in free agents and making trades and all that. That'll be the challenge for Craig Breslow, right? Because if you look at Texas, who, of course, just ran through the MLB playoffs, they signed Corey Seager. They signed Marcus Simeon his first year there in 2020. They spent all this money. And a lot of people at the time thought, that's crazy. That team's not that good. You're right. They weren't that good. But then what did they do? And this, I should say, after the 2020 season, they developed players like Garcia, Jonah Heim, Josh Young, and Jack Leiter they have waiting in the pipeline right now. I remember thinking back to that draft. That's the guy I wanted. Now, when Meyer was available, I didn't think Meyer was going to be available. I was pumped about the Meyer pick, but that's the guy that I wanted because the Red Sox didn't have a lot of young pitching. Now, obviously, love the Meyer pick, and you prefer to have the position player, but you understand the point. It's just like, okay, and they have a good farm system because if you look at fan graphs right now, they have both the Red Sox and the Rangers in the top five in Major League Baseball as it pertains to organizational farm system rankings right now. So, okay, so they have all these guys developing. They signed Seager. They signed Simeon. Last offseason, they signed Nate Evaldi. By the way, Nate Evaldi now after the win in Game 5. He has nine wins since the start of 18 in the postseason. That is tied for the most with Garrett Cole. He's 9-3 and in 79 and two-thirds, 305 ERA, 104 whip, 9.3 strikeouts per nine and two rings, okay? <laughs> and I get it, like, I've told you multiple times, like, Nate got a good offer from the Red Sox that was for three years. He ends up going to the Texas Rangers for two years. They thought they were going to get a four-year deal, him and his reps. They didn't get a four-year deal, but nonetheless, my whole issue with Nate Evaldi not being here is you should have done your work early. He was asking for a contract prior to the 2022 season, the Red Sox at that particular point in time were not interested. So they had to wait till he was a free agent. There was a way to get Nate signed before he got close to free agency, right? Where you didn't have to get in this spot where they did make him a fair offer, but it was too late. Like he had that built up scar tissue of the Red Sox not extending him before he got to free agency. And then also, so that's just a side note with all this, but they signed Nate last off season. They also signed Jake DeGrom. DeGrom, of course, goes down, needs Tommy John and all that. They then, at the trading deadline, traded for Max Scherzer, who ends up getting hurt. He did pitch for him a little bit, of course, in the postseason. But as we saw, he couldn't go deep into games. They also traded for Jordan Montgomery, who was excellent for them. So just think about it from this perspective, what Chris Young did in Texas. If they just make the DeGrom deal, they don't win the World Series. They needed Nate. If they just make the Scherzer trade, they don't win the World Series. They need a Montgomery. So it was all in, right? It was, hey... We're developing our young guys right now, but we also, we're going to try to win right now. So we're paying a bunch of guys that are stars, the Seegers of the world. Simeon's been a really good player. In fact, when he was in Toronto, his final year there, he was in the top five in war that season. I know he struggled two years ago, but he's a good player. Hit a couple of home runs throughout this postseason run. Seeger was unequivocally a great player. I mean, this guy just won the World Series MVP for his second team, right? But so their idea was, hey, you know what we can do? We can win now, 
and we're building up our farm system at the same time. And I think that's what the Red Sox are going to be looking for this offseason from Breslow. Hey, we have a lot of good players in our farm system right now, especially especially positional players. We'll get to that in a second. But now what we got to do, we got to win now. Okay, now is the time to strike like Texas was horrible two years ago and they went all in and look at them. They got a World Series because of it. Right. So the Red Sox, they've built up a lot of stuff and now they have to figure out the major league situation. But the one thing that I will say is and this is a good thing, I believe, for Breslow, it may have been something that other people were not as interested in or people may if you're inheriting this job, you may want to get your own manager. I think Breslow understands, like, look at what Chris Young just did. He brought in Bruce Bochy, who Bochy, of course, had won three World Series with the San Francisco Giants. And, well, in the case of Craig Breslow, he already has a World Series manager who has proven himself in the postseason with the 18 Red Sox, even in 2021, when they beat Tampa. He was outstanding in that series, right? And it feels like Breslow knows the worth of Cora. And almost, it feels like Cora was... And not, I don't want to say that's why he took the job. Obviously, it's not. He took the job because he get pay, getting paid a ton of money to run the Red Sox. But I do think he saw Cora already in place as a bonus. Like, yeah, I do want Alex Cora as my manager because he knows these guys on the big league club. He's been successful. Why wouldn't I want that to be the case, right? And so this is what he had to say about Cora. There is a special bond you make with teammates. Alex has accomplished a ton in this game. When you think about the profile of a successful manager, you think about a connector of people, someone who is able to compartmentalize decisions, who is able to articulate their perspectives, and ultimately someone who's able to disagree and also commit. I'm looking forward to continuing to build a relationship because I think Alex has the attributes you look for in a successful major league manager. So I don't think he just says that stuff. Obviously, he inherits Alex Cora as the manager. But I do think he understands the value of having a guy where Chris Young, he's running the organization in Texas. He's not worrying about what Bruce Bochy's doing in the seventh inning, what Bruce Bochy's doing in the sixth inning. And I would say if you give Alex Cora the proper team, you're not going to have to worry about that because nine times out of 10, he's going to make the right move from a bullpen perspective as long as you give him the proper pieces, which I think is a bonus for a front office guy. Breslow doesn't want to manage the team, too. He wants to set up the manager to have success because he's got a lot of other things to worry about. Okay, so I think that's a good thing. And I do think part of the reason that there was a disconnect between Bloom and the on-field staff, Alex, Core, et cetera, because it's not like those guys had bad blood or anything along those lines. They got along fine, but obviously there's disagreements in terms of what the front office is doing or what you want at the trading deadline, what you want in free agency, right? Like naturally, there's going to be disconnect when there comes to that or there's going to be disagreement. I think the message, and I mentioned this with Lou last week when we had Lou on, I think it's going to be more well-received now that it's a guy that played in Major League Baseball, right? Where he's coming to you from a player's perspective as well that also, unlike Hein Bloom, also understands the market because he played here. Okay, so I would also look at this, like Chris Young just wheeling and dealing. If... A player on a team can help you win, you go after that guy, right? Or I should say a free agent. If there's a trade to be made, you go after that guy. And once you do it, right, like for Chris Young, he proved it time after time to those guys in the Texas Rangers organization. Hey, we're signing Corey Seager. Hey, we're signing Marcus Simeon. And then as they tried to win this year, hey, we're signing Nate. We're signing DeGrom at the trading deadline. You know what? We need more than just Max Scherzer. Let's go get Jordan Montgomery too. So... 
What that does, when you're aggressive like that, and this is something that Haim never really understood here, when you're aggressive like that and you make moves like that, you send a message to the major league team, the guys in the clubhouse, and the manager that they can trust you, right? And that's where some of the disconnect came in with Haim because the managerial staff and also the players, they ne- remember Raphael Devers said at the deadline they wanted to add. So they never really trusted that Haim Bloom would give them the proper pieces to go out there and compete. And that's the big thing that Chris Young did with Texas. But it's also the thing that Craig Breslow is going to have to do with this organization. He's going to have to be aggressive, unlike Haim Bloom. Okay, that's what he's going to need to do. So I think the Sox are probably encouraged, like, play that up. Play the former player thing up. Be aggressive. And I do feel like there is a lot of excitement right now because of who he is. Like, he's a Boston Red Sox player. He's a champion. So I do think there's a lot of excitement now with the hiring after the process did not go particularly well to begin with all these people saying they didn't even want to interview. I do feel like there's a sense of optimism that this guy's going to get it a lot more than Heim Bloom does. Okay. So a couple of other things that stuck out to me. He mentioned starting pitching as a need, which we all know about, right? But I thought this was interesting. So he was talking on Nesson with Tom Karen, and he said this, developing pitching talent or developing a pitching talent pipeline, it takes time. It takes focus and it also takes risks. I don't think it's a secret. There really is really exciting positional players in that core that's emerging. And there's a possibility that we're going to have to create some synergy in the organization by using some of those players to get pitching. This is what I've been saying all offseason, okay? Nick York's the guy I point to as a positional guy that you're going to have to move on from because he's just going to be blocked. He's not going to play for the Red Sox because there's so many good positional players, right? Our guys at Sox Prospects, they have the whole list up of the Red Sox top prospects, of course, and we have Ann Kundal on all the time. But if you look at the top 26, some of the guys in there, David Hamilton, Blaze Jordan, Emmanuel Valdez, who's a butcher in the field. Those are the type of guys you look to move. Like, obviously, you have guys at the top. Roman Anthony, you're not moving. Marcelo Meyer, you're not moving, right? And then you have Blaze up there. You have a bunch of guys where Rafaela, he could be a starting outfielder for you next season. But at some point, what's happening is Abreu, I really like. I talked to Lou about him. Unbelievable plate discipline and really his unbelievable raw power. So when you look at it from that perspective, they have a lot of depth. And what they're going to have to do is choose the guys that they're okay from moving on from. Because one of the things the Red Sox do have now is a surplus of position players. And it's a good farm system right now. So a guy that's deemed 25 in your organization or 21 in your organization, if you're trading him to a different team, that may be the 12th player in their organization or the 15th player in their organization, right? So they may be more enticing to a different team, especially considering the Red Sox at some point, they're not going to be able to use all these guys at the major league level. So that was really important to me that he mentioned that because it's a tool I think they have to take advantage of is, hey, sometimes you build up a farm system to trade some of those players. Not all of them are going to work out. I mean, that was the beauty of having a guy like Moncada when you had Devers. You were not going to have Moncada be your everyday third baseman because you had Rafi. And so you move on from him. Same thing with a guy like Kopech. Kopech is a guy that, okay, maybe he had some promise, but there were concerns about Kopik and is he going to hold up? He's had all these health issues. Manuel Margot, another guy using the Craig Kimbrell trade. So that's part of having a surplus. And the Red Sox, to Heim's credit, they actually have that back there. So that was a big takeaway I had. So if you look at all the takeaways, basically playing up the player angle, trading position players, because eventually, as we mentioned, you're going to be too deep. And last but not least, 
he mentioned the starting pitching as a big need. So whether it's signing pitchers, whether it's trading for pitchers, whether it's a combination of those two things, right? When you're desperate for starting pitching, right now as an organization, this does seem like the guy that you want doing things, right? Because we just saw, and we referenced it a couple of weeks ago, he basically turned around their whole pitching philosophy organizationally and the development of the pitchers with the Cubs has been tremendous. And Craig Breslow deserves the credit for that. He was the difference. He's the guy they hired to do it and he actually executed it. So this is the type of guy, like, it's the perfect time to bring in Craig Breslow, who's, of course, specialty is pitching because of the guys or because of the biggest need on the team is pitching. So you look at it in terms of what's available out there. Yamamoto's coming over. You have Blake Snell, Aaron Nola, Sonny Gray, who was good for Minnesota. Jordan Montgomery, we saw what he just did. Heck, Erod's out there. You want a reunion with Erod? But nonetheless, you get my point. Or does he even look at a guy like Lucas Giolito? I saw Lou tweeting about this the other day where they see, hey, where Craig Breslow may say, hey, I think I can fix this guy, right? I think there's something I, because Giolito has really good stuff. It just, can we get him right? So who knows what it is in terms of the guy he's identifies, right? But as long as he makes a significant move or two, and maybe it's a trade and a signing, maybe it's two signings, maybe it's two trades, whatever it is, he needs to execute the plan. So what I do not want to see with this is because he has identified in his press conference, not that it wasn't obvious, not that we didn't all know it. He identified starting pitching as a need. So what I don't want to see is say hypothetically. Now, first of all, Yamamoto's in his own category, right? Because that's different. He's coming over from Japan. There may be a lot of personal reasons for wherever he ends up playing. Like I'm taking him out of the equation. If you lose out to him on Yamamoto for the bidding, it may not be your fault, right? Like so we can address that when it happens. I would love to have him here, obviously. But if you lose out on that one, I can't really criticize the organization too much for that, right? Because, I mean, Otani went to the Angels. Come on. Like, so I can't really get on them for that if they don't get Yamamoto. But let's say your number one target non-Yamamoto division in terms of the pitchers available, whether you determine that Snell, Aaron Nola, Montgomery, whoever you deem to be the number one guy, okay? You can't get outbid, right? Because another thing he talked about during this is he didn't see limitations. And the Red Sox ownership, Tom Warner, et cetera, they mentioned the fact that there is no limits, right? So don't be second place. Land the guy. Because one of the things we've seen forever now with the Red Sox, they've been interested in everybody. During the Bloom era, that was the thing. Hey, they're interested in this guy. They're interested in that guy. They're interested in that. They never landed any of them. Remember, we heard about Freddie Freeman. Yeah, they were interested in Freddie. They never landed any of those guys, right? So I just think of this hiring, like when we saw what happened with the Rangers and Chris Young, Chris Young got his guys. He got Seager. He got Simeon. He got Nate. He got DeGrom. He traded for Scherzer. He traded for Montgomery. Okay. So this is the big thing going forward is now we know he has identified what everybody knew was the biggest need. Now he has to go and execute the plan because I'll almost give him the benefit of the doubt with who his target is, right? Even if, say, hypothetically, I like one of the guys more than the other, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because of what he's done in his background. This is his specialty. So say if he likes Montgomery more than Snell and I like Snell more than Montgomery, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I just need to know that he lands two of these guys. Say he lands Montgomery, trades for C, something along those lines. He just has to execute that. And I'll be incredibly happy with that from an off-season perspective because that's what they need to do. I do wonder, just from a bigger picture perspective here, 
I wonder if this is a trend we're going to see across the sport now, where Chris Young just won the World Series as a former player, and now all these guys, like guys that are just recently retired, they all played Major League Baseball in the analytical era. So I'm wondering if we're going to see a lot more guys like Breslow, where he's a former player that's also big into analytics, taking over front offices. I wonder if this is the start of something. Young, obviously not as analytical as Breslow. That's why he wanted to build up the analytical department or the analytics department. But it's the same sort of idea. Former player that can relate to the guys on the field, but also somebody that's going to be conscious of the analytics and building up the farm system. And I certainly think that Breslow obviously falls in that more into analytics than Young. But I wonder if this is a trend we're going to see going forward in Major League Baseball. Okay, so we did a ton of Celtics this week, and we'll do more on the Sunday pod. I'll get into more on Tatum, et cetera, because we're witnessing a guy that it just feels like he's at the peak of his powers right now where the guy's hitting his apex. He's hitting his prime right now. It does really feel like that. I know we're four games in to the season, but it does really feel like that. And he's been incredibly fun to watch. But I did want to mention this real briefly here. Derek White, and we're recording on Thursday. Derek White at the moment is number one in the NBA in true shooting percentage at 82%. That accounts for free throws and three-point percentage or the value of a three. He is second in effective field goal percentage at 80.9. He is third in three-point percentage at 57.9%. He's 11 of 19. He's 73.3% on two-point percentage, which is ninth, 11 of 15. He has 63 total points on 34 field goal attempts. It's just insane to think about how well he's shooting the ball to begin the season. And this is part of what we said. Guys are going to get open shots, and the Celtics actually attempt the most open threes in the NBA this season. They're number one in that category, which means the closest defender is four to six feet away. It's almost like four more than anybody else in the NBA. That's how many open shots they're generating from three-point territory. And if you look at it now, just thinking about Derek White since that trade from San Antonio, he's now played in 112 regular season games with the Celtics. The Celtics with Derek White on the floor, a 121 offensive rating, a 109.4 defensive rating, an 11.6 net rating. So basically, Derek White in the regular season with the Celtics, they are outscoring teams by nearly 12 points per 100 possessions, which is just an incredible number. And if you really start to peel it back, and if you just take the 112 regular season games and you look at the plus minus, he is a plus 730. So in his regular season games with the Celtics, they have outscored opponents by 730 points. It's just ridiculous. We're talking about a guy that... Some people criticized the trade at the time, which I thought was crazy, but this isn't a small sample size anymore. It's 112 games of data. It's not noisy. And we see the plays that he makes. He's the perfect guy for this team, right? Greg Popovich said last year, this is via Inside the Spurs, he said most NBA players don't know how to play. He did, and he added skill development on top of that. He just got better and better because he put so much time in. And that's sort of what sticks out to you, right? Because We say it all the time. He always makes the right play. He understands the game where, hey, I may not be scoring this night. Hey, this night they may actually need me to drive. Hey, maybe I have the worst defender on me. I'm going to have to score in this particular game. I'm going to need to space the floor. I'm going to need to screen. Him and Drew Holiday screen all the time. So he always makes the right play. But Popovich's point is, as the skill got better, we're seeing him take off, right? So he already has that incredible feel for the game. And now the shooting's better. Now the passing's better. The defense, if you can even think about it, it's even better. So it's just, it's been the perfect move. So if you look back to that trade, the Celtics gave up a 2022 first. It ended up being a guy by the name of Blake Wesley. 
If you're not familiar with your with his work, he got injured last year. He's played seven minutes for the Spurs this season. Seven minutes the entire season. A team that is in rebuild mode. That's it. Those seven minutes came in a blowout loss to the Clippers. So he can't even crack the Spurs rotation. That was the main piece in the Derek White trade. Now, there is a 2028 pick swap. It's top one protected, which is crazy, top one protected. But anyway, that pick, you never know in the NBA I get all this, but Tatum is signing a Supermax after this season. I mean, that's going to happen. And 2028, that'll be after Tatum's 29-year-old season. So I don't think that pick is going to be great. He'll still be in his prime. Unless something crazy happens, knock on wood, injury-wise, Tatum gets unhappy. I just don't see that being the case because... The Celtics have done everything they can to put a great roster around Jason Tatum. Now, eventually, they're going to have to overhaul this roster. Guys are going to age out, et cetera. But if you're Tatum, don't you trust that Brad Stevens is going to be able to do that? Look at the team that he gave you this year. So I just think that that trade, it's an unbelievable trade where we talk about the big moves like this year, Porzingis, Drew, and all that. But the Derek White trade was just such a smart move by Brad Stevens. He just understands how to play and he fits right in with this team. And he's no maintenance. He's a perfect culture guy. And you need that type of guy where it's a calm guy in the locker room, right? You get a lot of personalities. Now, less than last year with Marcus and Grant out of the equation, but you got big personalities. Jalen Brown's certainly a big personality. So you need to be able to have guys that are just calm and they're going to be the same guy every day they show up, whether they're getting five shots or four shots like he did in that game earlier in the week against Washington, or if you need him to score 20 plus points in a playoff game. So I just wanted to reference that because when I was looking at Derek White's numbers today, I'm like, this is insane. I can't believe how well he's shooting the ball. Okay. So I do want to transition back to the Patriots, the top five things I'm watching the rest of the season. So this is a situation here where, look, we understand the team is two and six and the results are not going to be that important, except that you want them to lose so they get a better draft pick. But hey, we still have half of the season to go, right? Technically more than half of the season. So what are we watching for the rest of the season? So I get a couple of things. I got five. So here's my top five. Busting out the top five list again. Number one, and I hinted at this the other day, Demario Douglas. He's fun, okay? He is fun to watch. We ran through some of the numbers the other day, so I don't want to get into those. But this is a real chance for him to get a ton of touches. There are not a lot of other guys right now on this Patriots team that deserve targets, right? Like Juju hasn't proven anything this year. Parker hasn't proven anything this year. Maybe more Pharaoh Brown, right? But now that Bourne's out of the equation, you really have to find out what Demario Douglas is and not find out what he is. I think you feel pretty good about that guy as a six-round draft pick, but start seeing, like, give him even more opportunities than he was getting when Kendrick Bourne was in the lineup. So that's number one. I'm really interested to watch Demario Douglas the rest of the year because Unfortunately, number one would be Christian Gonzalez, but of course, he's out with the injury. So Demario Douglas, Pop Douglas, feed him. I want to watch him the rest of the season. At least entertain me, and I do think when he gets the ball in his hands, he's electric. So that is one thing to look forward to. Number two, and this is a really difficult one because I kind of referenced him there. Can you make it look like you've at least salvaged the juju thing down the stretch of the season? I just don't think you can let this bleed into next year. He needs to show something this year. Without Bourne, there are going to be more opportunities for him, like we mentioned with Douglas. And we've done the Jacoby thing before. I don't want to get into that. But the touchdown that he scored last week, that was schemed up by Bill O'Brien. But maybe that gets him going, right? Because I understood the idea of Juju over Jacoby last offseason. 
Because remember, he, last year, among receivers, 436 yards after the catch 11th, 5.9 yak per reception, tied for 7th, 218 yak on third down. That was first in the entire NFL. And I get it, all the precursors of he played with Pat Mahomes. So yes, this season, it really seems like a lost cause because the Patriots are irrelevant and he hasn't done anything and he has a cap hit next year of $10.6 million. So you have to at least, he has to at least show flashes down the stretch of the season where at least you can say to yourself, hey, it was just the knee. Like he had a slow start. And really, if we look at it, it was really health related, right? Because my whole thing with not signing or not bringing back Jacoby and bringing in Juju, it was not about the player, it was about the health. Well, if the knee was damaged goods and he's got to prove that the knee isn't damaged goods, well, then that's just bad business, right? That's just bad process. So this is one of the things I'm looking forward to, or at least I'm monitoring. I'm not looking forward to because I'm not very optimistic it's going to happen, but he has to at least prove he's going to be valuable next season for this team. You got to see at least some flashes, or then we're going to say at the end of the season, what do you do with him next year? Because if he can't prove anything down the stretch of this year, you're just banking he's going to be healthy next year. He's got to prove down the stretch of the season that he's healthy enough to give you something. Okay, number three, things I'm looking forward to the rest of the season for the Patriots. Can Christian Barmore pop? Okay, so we mentioned it a couple of times with James White. He had a sack last week, two weeks ago, had his best game of the season. He was the fifth ranked pass rusher among edge players via PFF that week, or excuse me, among defensive linemen that week. He had a sack. He had four pressures. So we also saw the flashes in the rookie season. But can he put together a stretch where you're saying, okay, this is going to be a massive part of things going forward. Christian Barmore is a building block, right? Because you don't really have a lot of building blocks on this team right now. I mean, obviously, we look at Christian Gonzalez as a building block. We'll see what happens with Duggar in the future, if he's going to get signed, etc., We certainly now would hope that Demario Douglas is going to be a building block. Hopefully, Keon White can be a building block. But can Christian Barmore prove that he's a building block going forward? Because if you go back and you look at it now, he's now playing 59% of the snaps, which is a career high. I'd expect that number to go up because you want to see the youth movement down the stretch. And you want to see, can he emerge into a star? Because if you think about it, on the defensive side of the football, Going forward, Judon next season is going to be coming off the injury. I love Peppers. I love Duggar in the back end. But you need a stud up front, right? Because you feel pretty good about the back end if guys are coming back, right? If Jack Jones is coming, well, Jack Jones is still under contract. But if he can play well down the stretch of the season, you bring Christian Gonzalez back. If Duggar is back, you feel pretty good about the back end. Can you see something from the guy up front? And this is the guy that needs to pop. Either him or Keon White. White's only in his rookie year so. I don't feel like it's as important for him. Barmore's got to show you something consistent down the stretch of the season because we've seen the flashes, but can he do it consistently? Okay, number four, things I'm looking for the remainder of the season. Will 2022 Ramondre show up now that at least they found a combination that looks better up front? And by the way, did you see that Michael on when you, Mark Daniels, had this? He asked to move to tackle because... It's going to make him more valuable in the open market. Hey, I don't blame him for it. I'd do the same thing if I was him, considering he can play tackle. Okay, so do you know how many games Ramondre has averaged four yards or more per carry this year? One. One, the entire season. So 12.5% of his games. Last year, that number was at 12. So north of 70% of his games last year, he averaged north of four yards per carry. Do you know how many games Ramondre has had with more than 60 rushing yards this season? Goose egg, zero. Last year, 
that number was at seven. So north of 41% of his games, he was going for north of 60 yards. This year hasn't done it once. So the yards after contact, 2.04 this year. That's 56th of 59 qualifiers. That number last year was at 3.81, which was third last year. So down 1.77 yards per attempt and down 53 spots, okay? So if you just look at the yards per attempt last year at five, this year he's at 3.2. So if you just take those 1.77 yards and you add it to his yards per attempt this year, we're looking at a guy averaging 4.97 yards per carry. So basically what he was doing last year. So he has to create some of those opportunities for himself. Okay, we just haven't seen that yet, right? Where, yeah, the offensive line was certainly a problem, but it wasn't a great offensive line either last year. And he created those opportunities, right? He created the 3.81 yards after contact. This year, that number is 2.04. So he's going to do more of that. The other thing I'd say is just 10 yards of, or excuse me, the 10-yard runs this year, just five, that's tied for 38th. Last year, that number was at 30, which was eighth. So basically averaging about 1.8 per game. And this year, or last year, I should say 1.8 per game. This year, he's not even averaging one per game in terms of 10-yard runs. And last year, he's almost at two per game. So he's an explosive player last year. And I did feel like at times in that game last week, we saw a little bit of explosion and we saw him getting fired up after the touchdown. So I'm hoping we see that guy because Ramondre was so fun last year. Can we just have that? We don't have a lot as Patriots fans right now to look forward to every Sunday. Can we get 2022 Ramondre back? Because I'm wondering if this goes all the way back to training camp where he wasn't practicing all the time. You thought maybe some of that was to use the NBA terminology load management. But at some point, he's out there every week. We got to imagine he's pretty close to healthy. We got to see more from Ramondre down the stretch of the season because he's supposed to be a big part of the offense and you would hope he's a big part of the offense going into the 2024 season. Okay. Last but not least, my things I'm looking for the remainder of the season. How does Max survive the final stretch? So right now to update, 6.3 yards per attempt, 30th, 82.5 passer rating, 24th, right behind Desmond Ritter and right in front of Bryce Young. Okay, that's sort of the neighborhood he lives in right now. The Ritter-Bryce Young neighborhood. Not a great neighborhood to live in. Okay, so if you look at expected points added plus completion percentage over expectation, Max at 29th. The only guys worse... Josh Dobbs, Kenny Pickett, and Zach Wilson. So any way you slice it, he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL this year. So you know how I feel. I don't think he's the guy. But first and foremost, clearly there was no interest at the deadline. Nobody apparently called about Mac Jones. And I want them to draft a new quarterback. I do not see a lot of wins on the schedule, right? I mean, we've made this clear. But can he look competent enough? to get another team to bite. Like you would have said, hey, maybe one of those teams would have been the Raiders, but Josh McDaniels is fired. I just don't think there are a lot of teams right now, right? Sean Payton in Denver, he may want to draft his own quarterback. We'll see what they do down the stretch, but I don't think he's going to be interested in Mac, especially if Belichick doesn't like Mac, because of course they both come from the Parcells coaching tree. So I don't see that being a landing spot. Commanders, now I'm guessing they prefer Howell. We talked to Joe House about him, but it would have to go really bad for them. Washington to sort of leapfrog the Patriots in terms of draft position. And obviously this week, there's a lot on the line from a draft position standpoint, not a lot on the line in terms of actually important to win games down the stretch here for both these teams. But the point being is I don't see the commanders saying, hey, we'd rather have Mac than Howell. So there's not a lot of landing spots. Minnesota is middling. 
I don't know how much they would want to take a look at Mac. That could be a possibility just because they're not going to be bad enough to be drafting one of those quarterbacks coming out of the collegiate level, like one of the top tier guys. And they have Kirk Cousins, who's not going to be available for midseason. They may go the veteran route. They may go the stopgap route. So that could be a team. The Falcons are another team. And we may have mentioned this earlier in the week, but Ritter is so bad. And Arthur Smith, big play action guy, that could be a case for it because the Falcons probably aren't going to be in the territory where they're drafting one of the premier quarterbacks coming out of the collegiate level. And Arthur Smith got Tannehill right. So there are teams that could be looking for that veteran stopgap quarterback. And hey, second team type guy, can he be better than he was with his first team? There are those teams out there. The problem is Max so far this season hasn't done enough to prove that, hey, he's worth taking a shot on, right? If the Patriots decide, hey, we're drafting our quarterback, which as you know, I want them to do, he hasn't proven, hey, it's worth the Falcons or it's worth the Vikings taking a shot on me. That's what we need to see the rest of the season. This is more about getting rid of Mac and getting some value back for Mac rather than him being the future of the organization. So rest of the season, let's say, can he be at like 7.3 yards per attempt, which that's what he was at at his rookie season. That was That would be around 14th in the NFL. So smack dab in the middle average, 92.5 passer rating his rookie season. That'd be about 13. So my question is, can he just be average the rest of the season? Okay, we don't need greatness. Can you just not turn the football over? Can you play on schedule? Just be average enough so that you can get the Patriots a draft pick and you can get a new start. Because I do think it would behoove Mac to get a new start in a different offense as well. I mean, the Falcons got a million weapons. That could be... A good situation for Mac. I don't wish any ill will on Mac. I just don't want him to be the quarterback of the Patriots in the future. So can Mac at least gain some of his value back? Can he just look like not one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL? Just be average. Just be average the rest of the season. All right, coming up next, Jamie will join us. We'll get into our game picks for the week. We'll give you a Patriots pick as well. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now, it is producer extraordinaire, Jamie McClellan. Jamie, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm great, Brian. Still basking in that Celtics victory. I'm feeling good. What do you think of Breslow, man? Were you impressed, unimpressed, or neutral? I'm down, man. I think they asked him on top of what you were saying. Like, uh, you know, how do you think financial constraints will play a part? He's like, I don't think it's going to be a problem. So I'm like, music to my ears. Yeah, and I think the ownership group realizes, like, that's kind of what we have to do now. We have to be relevant, especially in a city right now where the Celtics are the talk of the town. Mm Mm-hmm. And the Bruins are still playing well, right? I mean, they got off to a better start than everybody could have imagined. The Patriots, not so much, but they get a lot of attention just because they're Patriots. The Red Sox got to get back in the mix. They got to be relevant. We want playoff baseball back here. So hopefully that can be somewhere they can get back to next season. We see teams all the time go from shitty to right in the playoffs. The Red Mm -hmm. Sox have a good farm system. I'm optimistic that they can make some trades and sign some starting pitchers. And we're looking at a watchable product next year because really... After the Bear Claw game this year against Houston, where they left him out there, it was unwatchable the rest of the year. I mean, they became irrelevant, and I don't think they want empty seats like we've seen the past couple years at the end of the season. So I am optimistic at least they have woke up a little bit and realized, hey, we got to actually go for it. Okay, so let's transition to our greatest Boston bet of the week, thanks to our friends at FanDuel. So we talked about this game with House a little bit, Jamie. He said he wouldn't touch it for betting purposes. (laughs) I wouldn't touch it either. Washington, as House mentioned, is atrocious against the pass. They've been thrown all over. They're 30th in dropback EPA. Russell Wilson threw for 308 and three Mm -hmm. touchdowns. He did have a pick in that game. Denver put up 33 in that game. Fields lit them up on a Thursday night game for 282 and four touchdowns. 
So they've had trouble, even if it's not a good quarterback. And their defensive line has not been tremendous like everybody thought it was going to be. And they traded guys away this week. Montez Sweat, Chase Young. So the one thing they have done is, despite their pressure rate not being great, it's 15th. They do cash in when they get to the quarterback. They have 25 sacks, which is the sixth most. But remember, no Chase Young, no Montez Sweat this week. So they're also giving up the fourth most passing yards in the NFL. But if you look at EPA plus completion percentage over uh, over expectation with Mac, we just mentioned it. He's 29th. (laughs) Mac is 21st in passing yards per game at 205.1. And you don't have your best receiver. Kendrick Bourne's not playing. The Patriots... Can they run the football? That's something we have to see, right? But the Patriots, last week against Miami, a game they were in, they only ran the ball 19 times, 4.1 yards per rush. Like, they didn't have a commitment to the run game. The Patriots have not been great in terms of their 20th in rush EPA. They're 27th in rush yards per game at 84.4. So they haven't run the ball well. They certainly have not passed the ball well. So the deficiencies that that Washington team has defensively I don't really see the Patriots taking advantage of it. And you look at the other side of things. Terry McLaurin's been going off lately. He's one of the most under-the-radar receivers in the NFL because he plays for a shitty team. Six for 81 in the win over Atlanta last week. Six for 90 in a loss to the Giants the previous week. And then you look at Dotson, who had a big game last week. Eight for 108. Jamison Crowder had a big game, too. Seven for 95 and a touchdown. And you look at Howell. He will sling it. Five games of 250 yards or more, 297, 290, 299. He had 297 and 290 against the Eagles. So he is going to give you opportunities. He is going to be aggressive. So when I sort of think about all these things, and the Patriots, we still know, they're short in the defensive end with all the injuries they piled up. Offensively, they're now without their best receiver. Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to take Washington on the money line at plus 152. I believe Mm -hmm. the commanders win this game because... House brought up an interesting point. Yeah. And I'm glad he did because I I thought they were this is a fire sale, right? I thought that they were in tank mode, but they weren't. House mentioned that Chase Young, they kind of just wanted him out of the building. Like yeah. we got to get rid of this guy. The sweat situation as House mentioned, it's like a second round pick for sweat. You have to take that, good right? Yeah, it's basically like what Chicago yeah, did. They traded a they traded a second round pick so they could be the first team that offers him a contract Bizarre. essentially because he's a free agent after the season, yeah. right? So that was just a weird piece of business from Chicago's perspective. I can't believe I'm saying this, but smart from Washington's perspective. <laughs> but my point with all this, I just believe Washington, clearly they have firepower offensively. They don't like to run the ball. We mentioned that with House. They have at least firepower offensively. The Patriots don't. If one quarterback is going to be rattled, it's going to be Mac because Howell doesn't care. He'll throw a fucking interception. Yeah. Very next play, he's throwing it into traffic. He doesn't care. We've seen with Mac, he does get rattled when things happen. Like that's why I think he's afraid to pull the trigger to Parker last week after the interception. Right. So I just think Washington, I think they're gonna win this game. I really do. And I think it's a good thing long term for the Patriots. And I know people don't want to hear that, but it's the reality of the situation yeah. where they're right at right now. I now after talking to House about where Washington's at, like they're trying to win games, I think Washington's gonna win this one. I think uh, I'm going the opposite way, actually. I'm taking, you got the Pats. I'm taking the Pats not only on the money line, but on the spread, too. Um, I think, three and like, a half. I saw down three, three, it's down three and a half. Yeah, yeah, it was at three and a half. It looks like it's down to three now. Yeah. I just think, like you said, Mac gets bad all the time, and then he sucks. But they just lost some pass rushers. I think the one time he had a really clean pocket against the Bills, he looked good. And obviously, 
he had born in that game, and that's going to hurt them. But still, I think they had an, a middling pass rush, Washington, before these two trades. If he has a clean pocket, I kind of like his chances in that regard. And I, I know you said about Chase Young, maybe he was a bad presence in the locker room, but I just think that stuff, you know, we were talking off the pot about Hein Bloom and how he didn't do anything in the deadline and how these trade deadlines have a big impact in locker rooms. And I just feel like the Patriots didn't sell. Clearly, Belichick wants to win. And at least from my point of view, it looks like they're selling. Maybe they weren't selling, but they, they did unload some guys. Yeah, they got a great deal, but they still unloaded guys. And I think that has a demoralizing effect on guys, whether or not, you know, they understand the reasoning behind it. So I just feel like the two teams are like going in opposite directions, at least in terms of the deadline. Pats are at home. They played well at home the last time they were there. And I don't know. I just I just can't I can't get myself to be scared of the commanders. Maybe I'll be wrong on Sunday, but I'm taking the pass. All right, we're going head to head on this one. That's right. All right. So we'll get to some more picks in a second here, Jamie, but I'm introducing a new segment. Mm. It's called I'm eyeing the bottom five. Okay. It's not a great name, but <laughs> basically picks. what I'm gonna do is I'm looking at the teams that have top five picks right yeah. now or scheduled to have top five picks. And what we're gonna do here, okay? I'm gonna need your help with this. We're gonna determine which of these teams has Ooh. the best chance to win this week. Okay. So first, Arizona plays the Browns. Clayton Toon is starting. Kyler <laughs> Murray is still out. Wherever the fuck Clayton Toon is, he's a fifth rounder, okay? I'm not familiar yeah. with his work. So I don't think there's a good chance for them to win, despite it, the Browns have their issues. We know all this. Carolina, and remember, Dobbs is playing elsewhere now. He's playing for Minnesota. Right. Carolina has the Colts. Now, the Panthers are coming off their first win of the season. Indy's lost three in a row, and Minshew has thrown five interceptions in those three games. Yeah. There's a chance for the Panthers there. Now, obviously, their pick goes to Chicago. So here's the other thing you got to keep in mind with Carolina. Important fact. There's no incentive yeah. to lose. Okay, they want to win. There's, there'd be nothing more embarrassing if they give away the number one or the number two or the number three pick. They're probably <laughs> going to give one of those, yeah. but there'd be nothing more embarrassing. So keep that in mind, JB. They okay. have incentive to win. Okay, the Bears are two and six. They're in New Orleans. It appears that Fields is out again with the thumb issue. Tyson Bagent came back down to earth last week, okay? The, the two interceptions. New Orleans defense is really, really good, yeah. okay? And the Bears are eight and a half point dogs. Okay, that doesn't seem like a good one from my perspective. That brings us to the two and six Giants. Raiders on the road. The Raiders, mm. do they get a boost from firing the idiot Josh McDaniels, okay? If you look at the Raiders, they did get Antonio Pierce, who is like, Former NFL linebacker, played on that uh, that team that beat the undefeated undefeated Patriots. Maybe yeah. he gets guys to buy in for a week. They're starting Aiden O'Connell. Jimmy Garoppolo is on the bench. I did hear, right. I think it was Steven Ruiz who mentioned this on the Ringer NFL show. I think it was Steven Ruiz. It was him or Nora mentioned the fact that part of the reason they're doing that is if Jimmy Garoppolo tries to sign with another team in the offseason and he fails his physical, the Raiders owe him $11 million. Gotcha. So that's part of the reason he's Putting not playing ice. is, yeah. yeah, that you have Aiden O'Connell. Okay, so Aiden O'Connell, who knows what you get with him. Daniel Jones is back. He's clear, but <laughs> he's been awful. He is 33rd out of 36 quarterbacks in yards per attempt. Rating is 35th out of 36. So that's an interesting one with the whole Aiden O'Connell situation for the Giants. Okay, we'll throw in the 2-5 and five Green Bay Packers as well because I... Look, I, I thought that they were going to be good this season. I was wrong about them, but they're hovering in that top five territory right now, okay? But the Rams, they have the Rams. The Rams are three and five. They at least feel like they're playing for something, yeah. right? Like, they're not trying to lose games. But last three starts for Jordan Love, five interceptions during that's that stretch. Terrible. 
Yeah, 29 to 33 qualifiers and success rate during that stretch. So I don't see the Packers winning against that. Like they have all these first rounders on defense and they they just haven't been good. And the Rams, at the very least, they can score points. Like their offense is pretty good despite some of the issues. They, they're not a great team. Obviously, they went all in to win a Super Bowl, but they're the more talented team right now than, and they have the more high-end talent, I should say, than the Packers. Okay, so best chance to win this week. I'm going to say it's hmm. Carolina. Carolina. Because I just, the Minshew thing, he's been so bad. Yeah. Maybe Carolina builds off that momentum. Maybe Bryce Young is feeling it a little bit, although I can't believe I'm saying that because I'm not a big Bryce Young guy. So I would say Carolina is my number one. If I was going to go with a number two team, it'd be the Giants, just because like the Giants suck, but so do the Raiders. And they're starting Aiden O'Connell. Yeah. So I would go Carolina number one. I would go Giants number two in terms of the teams in the bottom five that could lose this week. We're going to do this every week going forward so we can (laughs) monitor the Patriots and Drake May sweepstakes and all that different type of stuff. But right now, that's the pick I'd go with. I think it's Carolina has the best chance because you can't win all these games, Jamie. We're asking for one win, one. one, one, one win a week so the Patriots can keep moving up the draft board. This week, it's Carolina. I'm calling it Carolina beats the Colts. I don't know. Even though, I mean, may, I, even maybe. though, look, hey, Frank Reich, revenge, although he's not a great coach. Something. I mean, they actually have a better coach now in Shane Steichen. They came from the Eagles, but revenge game. I mean, I could see I could see it, I guess. It's just like they, that was such an ugly win over the Texans last week. I think it was like 15 yeah. to 13. I mean, he didn't play well young, so it, it was hardly inspiring. I think I would I would go with the Giants just because, again, first start for a fourth round pick. Like, it <laughs> doesn't sound very promising. But um, it did seem like they hated McDaniel, so maybe they'll want to go win for a new coach kind of thing. But still, I'm taking I'm taking the Giants over the Raiders if I have to pick one. If I have to. Okay, so you're going Giants. I'm going Carolina. Okay, so we'll have to we'll have to come back and revisit that yeah. on Sunday. We we could both lose. I mean, very <laughs> easily. Very These are possible. some of the worst teams in the NFL. So we're going head to head, the Patriots and Washington, and we're going head to head, Carolina against conflict the Giants. Okay, all right. So let me get to my parlay, and then we'll get to your bets. So, by the way, last week, we lost our four-legger all-moneyline parlay yeah. on the Chiefs. Out of all the teams, yeah, you thought that was the luck. They yeah. never lose to Denver, and Pat Mahomes apparently had the flu. Well, doesn't help. Yeah. It didn't affect Michael Jordan, but nonetheless, I mean, Jordan's <laughs> going out there. He's winning. But anyway, so here is my three-leg parlay for Sunday. This is for plus 550. Saints to cover the eight and a half. At home against the Bears. I just, obviously the Saints offense has its issues, but the defense is really good. And I think they'll have a couple of turnovers in that game to put themselves in good field position. And it does feel like the Saints are now getting used to Derek Carr. I'm not a big Derek Carr guy, but like this whole thing of him like yelling at guys on the field, I think that kind of got overblown a little bit, like in terms of how much attention it was getting. So I like the Saints in that spot. I know it's a huge number. Commanders on the money line against the Patriots, as I mentioned. So putting them in there. And then the Ravens on the money line at home against the Seahawks. That's a really good matchup, but you have Baltimore at home. Baltimore is really at the point now. And remember, I gave out Lamar before the season as one of the MVP picks I liked. He's right in the driver's seat right now. Like he has a real opportunity to win the MVP. I like that Seahawks team. I think they're coming together. Mm -hmm. They went out and they traded for Leonard Williams, which I thought that was a smart trade for them to make. By the way, love the uniforms they wore last week. I wish they'll, I hope they rock those a couple more times that week, but I like the Ravens in that. So 
Obviously, you don't like my parlay because you have the Patriots <laughs> over the Commanders, yeah, but that's right. my parlay. Saints to cover the eight and a half, yeah. Commanders on the money line, Ravens on the money line against the Seahawks. I like what that. do you got this week for your bets? Well, last week I did like either a parlay or a teaser, both of which were over three on all three legs. So we're going to throw that out the window. The home dogs were throwing that out the window. Now I'm looking at some home favorites. One of them's Ooh. like, yeah, one's like kind of a home favorite. Like I saw Chiefs are playing the Dolphins and Chiefs are favored by a point and a half. I'm like, point and a half at home. And then I realized they're in Frankfurt, which makes this a little wonky, but I just think they call oh, me. By the this. way, can I stop you for yeah, a second? Let's hear it. I don't like this. These are two of the best teams in the NFL. Yeah, they should be playing. The, yeah, I, yeah, look, I get it. Like something. they plan these things years in advance. Yeah, but and I, 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 I don't even like waking up for those games. Like I, I'm an early riser. Yeah, well, great point. I'm an early riser. Like I usually wake up somewhere between six thirty and seven thirty. That's just yeah. like how how I function. Like I wake up early, but I don't want to watch that game that early. No, I want to watch that game at night. Like I want that to be. I don't know. We have good games on the slate, like the Cowboys and Eagles, and that. And a bunch of games that are like intriguing to me, but that game's over at noon. I don't want that to be the case. Yeah. I, I hate this. I hear you. I, I, um, I'm not one of these people. Like, I don't need more time. Like, we have enough time. We have from one o'clock until what? Seven o'clock, whatever it is. <laughs> no, a little after all seven. All day long. Sunrise yeah. And then we have the night game. I know. Okay. I don't, I don't need one yeah. at 9 a.m. in the morning. I'm sorry. I, I get trying to grow the game globally. Yeah. I, I hate this, but anyway, sorry, I interrupted. No, it's fine. Your I think if they want to put like the Jaguars on in the morning, fine. But yeah, yeah, Chiefs, Chiefs Dolphins, it, they should have that a marquee game. But uh, because it's a marquee game, Chiefs coming off a horrible loss, I think they're going to come to play. And especially like the Dolphins, you know, people are talking a lot about them, the next big thing. So I think the Chiefs are going to come in and be like, we're we're still the top dogs in the AFC. And I think on top of that, the Dolphins, their wins, so they've beaten, they lost to the only two quality teams they played, lost to the Bills and the Eagles. The teams they've beaten, the Patriots twice, the Broncos, the Giants, the Panthers, who we just all talked about as being the worst teams of the league, and then they squeak by the Chargers in week one. Which Ooh, is a pretty that's an interesting record point. Right there. That's an, they really haven't beaten a good team. No, that's they an interesting haven't. Point. What, are you factoring in the Tyree Kill revenge factor? That's true. I mean, look, he could have a big game. He, he will have a big game, I'm for sure. I saw he was talking some shit today, so I'm sure he'll have a big game. I just think it's almost like a reverse revenge game, too, though, from like the Chiefs guys. Like, we're still here. Kelsey's like, I'm the top dog. I'm better than you, Tyreek. So we'll see. I'm taking the Chiefs, though. It's only a point and a half. I think they'll win. I think they're just a better team. And again, it's like we were talking how the Chiefs are the new Patriots, which, you know, it's not a newsflash, but they are. And what did the Patriots do when they went into one of these, like, you know, barometer games where you measure yourself against another team? They're going to win. So I'm taking them. Yeah. You know what's, you know what's insane about that yeah. is, not about your pick, but you know what's insane <laughs> is they lost that guy who may have 2,000 yards a season. Hill. And they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. And look, they're having their issues this year, no doubt about it, because they let some of their fringe players go. Right. I thought they'd make a move for a receiver at the deadline. They decided not to do that. But that's crazy. Like, you could make an argument, and it wouldn't even be that difficult to do. I mean, right now, it's between... I mean, who is it right now? Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams isn't getting involved with the Raiders. You have Justin Jefferson is on the shelf right now. I guess the two top guys right now that are currently playing because Jefferson's hurt would be Jefferson and Tyreek Hill. So you could make an argument and he's definitely the most dangerous weapon because he can catch the ball at the 20 yard line at his own 20 and go the distance. So you lost that guy and you still won the Super Bowl. It's crazy. And it just tells you how great that organization is right now. How great that quarterback is for sure. But um, the only other receiver that one last pick is uh, I think the Bengals over the Bills, I think is going to be a hit. It's also only minus one and a half Bengals at home Sunday night football. I think it's going to be a great atmosphere, and I think 
that's going to put them over the top. They beat them in the playoffs last year. But Jamar Chase is kind of coming along all of a sudden. Like last week. And had, Burrow. Yeah, exactly. Burrow had three touchdowns. Chase had one touchdown, 10 catches, 100 yards. I think they're kind of in sync all of a sudden. So I like that pick as well. I do too. I like the Bengals a lot. I feel like people that wrote them off were crazy. It's because if you watched any of their games, it's like the guy has one leg right yeah, now. Yeah, Burrow was hurt. Yeah. Now you could question whether or not it was the right idea to play him, but yeah. I give him credit for playing through that. My concern about him was like everybody talked about like, hey, the calf is connected to the Achilles. I was just like, well, the guy can't move. Like he could easily get concussed, <laughs> yeah. right? Or like yeah, dangerous. Get, get his ribs messed up from a hard hit. But now mm. he's back. And to your point about Chase, he said after the game, welcome back, Joe Burrow. Hell yeah. What do you think of that? Do you like Bengals over Bills? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. The Bengals, man, they're, they're scary. If you're one of these, like totally. the Ravens, they beat the Ravens in the playoffs last year. They've owned the Bills. And I know they lost last year to the Chiefs, but they've beaten them multiple times. Yep. That team, I want, I love Burrow, man. Yeah, he remind he reminds me not like they're not that their play style similar. He reminds me of Tom. It's just like so. money on the line, game on the line. Mm-hmm. Give me that guy. Like obviously, Mahomes is the top top guy in the league, but in the non Mahomes division, anybody else like fourth quarter playoff yeah. game, give me Joe Burrow. He's the only guy that can beat him other than Brady. So yeah. Yeah, he has three playoff losses, Mahomes. Two to Brady, one to Mahomes, yeah. uh, one to um, Burrow. I guess, yeah, I always think that Burrow beats him every time. I guess he, they won in the regular season a few times. Yeah, they have. Yeah. yeah. All right, we'll see what happens, Brian. I'm, so, I'm sorry we had to go head-to-head, but it'll make things more interesting, I suppose. Okay, all right, so that's good. All right, one more thing, Jamie, before we go. So yeah. this Bill to Washington thing is getting some steam this week. There is. Callahan, our buddy from the pod, or... Our buddy that we have on the pod, I go on his pod too, so I, I like going on his his pod. He's fun. Yeah, he's he's our guy. He wrote an article about it. Yeah. Bill to the commanders, not crazy. Florio put some stuff out there. I asked House about it earlier. He said, no way. I don't want <laughs> Bill Belichick. <laughs> yeah. He wants a younger offensive type of coach, which I totally agree with House when it comes to that. And I get it. It's new ownership. They'll offer him a ton of money. I just don't see it. Like, you've got to be smarter than that if you're Josh Harrison company. You have yeah. to go young, innovative way. And from Bill's perspective, if the quarterback's not in place, like, unless you really think Howell's the guy, it. yeah, like, the Chargers thing to me still, and this is the team that I've been on the whole time, that's the team that makes way more sense to me because the quarterback's there, and you can try to build the rest, right? I yeah. mean, obviously, they have roster issues, but Washington, man, it's just, to me... It'd be one thing if they had their quarterback in place. They don't. They're not going to be, I, at least I'm predicting, they're not going to be bad enough to get one of the top-tier quarterbacks in the draft. I don't think that's appealing to Bill, and I don't think Washington should want him. Yeah, especially if they You want him making personnel decisions? Yeah, no, I mean, definitely not that. I, I've been talking about maybe trading for Belichick, and it's like I would not be giving up a first, a second, a third-round pick for Bill Belichick. Frankly, I don't know if I'd want Bill for any team, but yeah, I think it makes more sense if they have an established quarterback. But why are you not going for a young offensive mind if you're any team? Like, that's what's working. That's who gets to the Super Bowl every year. Yeah, McDaniel, Shanahan, McVay, all these guys we're seeing working across the NFL. So yeah, Nick Sirianni, offensive guy. Where the game is. Yeah, I don't think it would be smart. And the other thing is this. Bill will probably get there, say, hey guys, trade McLaurin for a fifth. We don't need star receivers. I'm going to trade McLaurin. His contract's too big. See if we can get a fifth out of it. Did not think this was how the Belichick era was going to end, but here we are. No, it's ugly. All right, Jamie, good stuff, man.
See you, Brian. All right, we'll be back with James White after the Pats and the Commanders coming up on Sunday. You can leave us a voicemail during that game, after that game, or after the Celtics game or the Bruins game on Saturday night. That number is 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.